Hi there, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live stage shows. Our guest today is Charlie Zelly, who is the Commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Transportation. He has served in that role since 2013. He came on the show and talked about current MnDOT projects, what is the future of transportation in Minnesota, and what advice he has for future commissioners. Okay, there we are. Sorry, everybody. All right, here it's we go. It's on. First show in St. Paul. We're good. All right, so thank you so much for being here. I very much appreciate it. And I did, I made a little bit of light of this, but, you know, you, I, I actually, uh, yesterday, I tweeted something out that was like, how many front page stories will the Star Tribune get out of 35W construction? Because I think we're up to five so far. Just, be, just beginning. Just beginning. And this is one of the things in one of these stories you said... Um, this you said, I think this is the worst. This is, which is not something you hear from uh, people in public life very often. Like this is bad, everybody. Oof, this is real bad. Well, what I've been saying to my friends and the public is I thirty five ninety four. It's a big project, and if you think if it's getting bad, it's going to get worse, and it is gradually getting worse. And I think we hit the worst moment. You so wait, is it? Are we? I don't mean to pick a fight with it, but is it the worst right now, or is it getting to be the worst? I think two weeks ago was the worst. Two weeks ago yeah. was the worst. Yeah, was, was there like a day and yeah. like 345 yeah. Thursday afternoon? About 5 o'clock. Yeah, June 22nd. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. Um, can you just walk us through why, why is everything happening at once? Well, first off, uh, you know, I get a lot of new friends on email and, you know, Twitter, and uh, I really appreciate all those comments. Uh, but uh, the fact is, highways that were built 50, 60 years ago, they get old, and they're just like a lot of us aging boomers. We need some rehabilitation. You need like a $350, oh, $350 million we like need rehab. the $240 million rehab. I mean, this is uh, a very congested, but heavily used, and aging uh, system and so it has been in the plans for for years and we really worked on Highway 100, we worked on 169, we worked on 694, 494, all that in preparation of handling the big one, which is I-35, 94, the most congested area and it, the best Star Tribune front page uh, I think was the picture in the paper yesterday that showed this drone view of, oh my God, a picture is worth a thousand words. There's massive amounts of uh, Minneapolis that's been torn up, and that's how big this project is. And the fact is, bridges will fall down unless we have to fix them up, so we're replacing all of it, and it'll be a much better system in the future. And Because I, I have read some, I, I don't want to, but why, is there a reason why it did end up sort of seeming to happen, where there's just a lot of things, because it's I-35W is happening. There's a lot of bridges that cross 35. That uh, So, like, I live near 38th, uh, oh, uh, which you're is You're right now. in the zone. Yeah, yeah. I am. Yeah. Thank you for reminding yeah. Yeah, me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, can I get a ride home, by yeah, the way? Yeah, sure. Um, I, I'll, I'll show you the secret way. Oh, wow. Don't tell, though. Okay. <laughs> but is there... Because was there a reason why these multiple things all seem to come together at once? Well, there's no way to do a shortcut and do it in phases. If we did it in phases, it would be 20 years of torture, whereas our philosophy is let's do it, let's do it right, let's have it last a long time. And as it's being redesigned, there'll be a large transit center in the middle of Lake Street. 
There'll be express buses that come right down into downtown Minneapolis. Um, and the fact is it's an aging concrete and bridges that have to be replaced, but it'll be replaced by something that'll be much more free-flowing and have all that transit, biking, pedestrian kind of There's going to be biking on 35W now? No, this is so no, exciting. no. Don't start a rumor. Oh, my God, I'm in trouble. No. But the express buses will connect at Lake Street, which connects, if you like Nice Ride or the new dockless bike system, right there on the Greenway, crosses that. So That's you can it. take your express bus, take the little escalator up, and get on your bike and then go on your way to where you live or where you work. So talk us through then, because uh, everybody, probably most folks are very, uh, there was a woo for, I don't know, um, the biking, biking, biking but dockless bikes, biking. Thanks, Will. Uh, but... Talk it, so people are probably very aware, whether they've seen it in the paper or they've just lived it, the stuff that's ugly right now. Right. What is the future? Like, is it just, oh, we're going to go back, like, in, in, what is it, 14 years it's done? Something like that? Um, Close. Th- three years. Three well, years. Well, it'll be four years, the whole project. Four years. So in yeah. four years, will we get back on, we'll be like, oh, it was just like it was? Or no, what will we notice no, that's different? No, no, no. Well, it... People say it was just like it was because we're not having any more general purpose lanes. But we'll have true min-pass lanes, which, and I'm a min-pass lane um, uh, uh, lover, thank you. Just Be- on the off chance anybody doesn't know exactly what, that, so what the difference is. that is a high occupancy lane. You can go for free if you have more than uh, uh, one person. Like you have two people or more. If you're carpooling, yeah. And buses and motorcycles can go for free. And if you are a single occupant car, you can pay with a little transponder, and it's variably priced. If it's really congested, the price goes up, never more than $8, but, and it hardly ever gets close to $3. But that's a way to have traffic flow smoothly and to carry a lot more people through the, uh, through the city. So this network of min-pass lanes our kind of transit lanes allows us to have express buses that can go through congestion really quickly. I think that the min-pass lane thing is fascinating, and this is actually something Minnesota is sort of out in. There are other states. I'm from Florida, and we have, like, yeah. Sun Pass, and there's some things. Yeah. But this notion that you're – because the idea of min-pass is the price goes up because yeah. there are times when you don't want people driving if they don't absolutely have to be, right? So, like, if you can – if I can avoid driving at 4 o'clock on Thursday afternoon, right. it's probably better if I do – and if I'm going to, then I should pay some sort of penalty other than having to just listen to the traffic for that whole time. Everybody wins with min-pass lanes. If you carry more people through one lane, uh, then it frees up the general lanes. But min-pass lanes allows you to pay to get that express uh, zip through the congestion. And it could be as little as a, a free or a quarter, or it can go up. And if more congested it is, the price goes up, but um, it may be worth it to you. So you kind of make a market decision at the moment, $2, hmm, must be pretty congested. I think I'll take that lane. It's worth it to me to pay $2 because I'm going to pay a fine if I'm late, so I'm going to this go just, on that. This just occurred to me, and I never thought of this before. If I buy, like, the MinPass sticker... Yeah. But then I bring a friend with me. Do I have to like? Do I cover the min? No, you have a little up? slidey thing. You, oh. you slide the thing over, and it says more than two, and then you don't get charged. Wow, you guys have thought of but stuff. That's if you're trying to be clever and say, "Oh yeah, I have a friend." Wink, wink. And you don't. I don't. You slide Thank your you. thing over, and you 
bought some blow-up doll next to you? I have several. Yeah, well, (laughs) the Highway Patrol, they're on to you. I know. And the fine is much worse. Oh, it is. For faux riders, passengers. So, okay, so more min-pass lanes is one of the things yeah. that we'll notice is And different. we'll see that on 35. So yeah. what else? What You mentioned the new transit The new transit station right in the middle of the interstate uh, at Lake Street. So uh, express buses stop in the middle of, the, of 35, and then you can get out and get up to better buses on Lake Street or those bike lanes or, the, or pedestrian. And then... Um, the actual flow of the of the roads will work much better. We have this big weave now and tough corners. It'll be uh, and then the big flyover that's not there anymore that went from 35 north to 94 uh, west, and uh, now it'll be uh, flowing and hopefully backing up a lot less. Why? Can you say? I, I mean, I'm just fascinated by yeah. the engineering of this. Like, yeah. why will it flow better? It, I am uh, not an engineer, so it's easy for me to describe. Please. Really, really smart people who know this stuff have figured out a way to provide for better traffic logistics and better uh, sight lines and better kind of merging angles to allow it to kind of flow uh, without as much backups. Okay. Um, so I, I believe you. I yeah. believe you. Oh, Do you believe me? They're, um, in, they're in the room, so they are. Tell me, yeah. Oh well, don't screw this up, improvisers. Oh my then. God. The engineering better be spot on. Um, so, uh, so all of the any other. Uh, well, let me ask you the sort of the negative version of this because this has come up, and you noted it. There aren't going to be more lanes, and right. I think that I maybe have right. some inkling of that. But can you right. talk us through why not? Well, there are some people who say, "Hey, just build more lanes." Can't you tell? There's Infinite lanes. There's 800,000 more people coming into the metro, so let's just build more lanes. You know what? Los Angeles tried it. St. Louis tried it. And uh, these are really congested cities. And two things. One is buying more, uh, more property to make 35W even bigger means all those historic houses. What are we going to do? Condemn those like we did in the 60s? And cr- that's billions and billions of dollars. Plus, uh, more single... Uh, uh, occupant cars, it's not our vision. If we can have more transit with automated and connected cars, more and quicker, more efficient uh, shared uh, uh, mobility, we'll have all those people and the quality of life that we have come to expect here this, in Minnesota. This is a fascinating piece of your job and the kind of work that you're doing because yeah. we think, you, we've talked about it so far as we're repairing broken infrastructure and trying to you know, right. keep things up and going. Right. And yet, there's also a part of this which is Make try, it better. Uh, trying to think about the future yeah. And the question I always have for folks in your role is how much are you just sort of trying to respond to what you think the future will be and how much are you trying to say it actually would be better if we had fewer people in single occupancy vehicles so we're going to kind of like nudge the system to like disincentivize you from doing that. We don't know the future and if we did it would be a lot easier, right? But we do have a sense of that there are going to be more people. We do know that technology is totally changing transportation. And, it is, and some call it disruptive, some call it transformative, but it's going to be different. It already is different. In our car, new cars, they have lane warnings, they have backup cameras, they have super crews to be behind the car in front of you. Super crews? Oh, yeah. You don't have super crews? I don't have super crews. Oh, you want I drive super a Ford Fiesta. Um, well, it's coming. It's okay. coming to Fiesta. Well, uh, 
Super Cruise is where you lock in onto the car in front of you, and it'll, it'll go faster or slower. It'll just follow that car. Oh, you better want to go where that car is going, then. Yeah, you have to steer. Now, even the even next generation of cars will actually follow the lane, and GM now has that, and Tesla and a few others. So it's just progressing very quickly. The question for a DOT is, how do we build these 100-year bridges and these lanes that could be flexible for the future technology that is coming? And that is the trick that we're considering, how we manage uh, our construction so it allows for future adaptability. Well, you've, you've outlined, like, the different things that you're weighing, but... Yeah. For a long time, you know, this, the role that you're in was about trying to sort of drive particular behavior or whatnot. You know, we built freeways once upon a yeah. time with the notion that, like, this is going to change where people live and how they get to and from work and whatnot. Yeah. And so I, I have to believe that that is part of what you're thinking, that you're thinking we want to try and drive, drive forgive the pun, some way of people, uh, how they're going to move around in the future um, and not just sort of like let whatever happens happen. Well, I think it's, it's not necessarily shaping public opinion. It's more following the trends and where future generations, how they like to live. And knowing that high-density uh, development requires kind of a high-density transportation alternatives. So it's not saying we're going to make it high-density. That is how people are living. It's more efficient. It's more affordable. So when we think about shared mobility, that might be like Uber or Lyft. People are doing that. Why? Because it's so easy and convenient, and it actually is cheaper than owning your own car and paying exorbitant prices in parking. So why would I not take the car to go or the lift or the uh, uh, the other car when it actually is easier in my life? And we've seen that in our studies. The uh, interesting thing that GM and Ford and some of these American auto companies, that they're spending huge amounts of money on social research, not just on engineering thinking about how quickly will this change and how will it change. And we don't fully know, but we know that change is inevitable. If you look at uh, today, there's this uh, line bike company that Google is invested in. Its market capitalization for shared biking system and scooters is already uh, worth over a billion dollars. This is a company that's just doing bike share. Somehow, people and investors are saying the future isn't just cars. It's going to be all these different ways to get around. And we have to think about how do we have our systems work for all those different ways that people want to get around. And that's not saying we're forcing it. That's how people want to live. So you've brought up the uh, cars that drive themselves, the self-driving cars and yeah. whatnot. I, that, we, we had um, Mayor Jacob Fry on the show when we were in a lesser of the Twin Cities once upon a time. That other and, one? Right. And um, he said that He's pushing that Minneapolis will no longer build parking ramps that can only be parking ramps. That if you're going to build a new parking ramp, it has to be sort of built in a way where it could be converted into something else in the future. And he specifically cited self-driving cars because he's like, within our lifetime, self-driving cars will make it so that, you know, there's just a lot fewer cars. So is that... Can you talk us through, like, how the Department of Transportation thinks about this? Well, we have a whole department now, office within MnDOT, called the CAVX office, Connected Automated Vehicles, and the X is for the X factor of all these different mobility ideas. But, uh, and there's a governor's... You have an X factor office? Yeah, we do. This is... Yeah, we do. 
It's kind right. of a extra mystery. Yeah, I yeah. love it. That's yeah. great. And yeah. yeah, everyone wears bowler hats inside, yeah. and yeah, yeah. they yeah. go by numbers. Yeah. Hello, number thirteen. Yeah, we um, have a yeah. we have like a secret, you know, handshake. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Right. Yeah, and and then uh, we have a, a governor's appointed a uh, a, uh, a council of thirteen private sector and thirteen ex officio members to consider the future, and make recommendations this December on what. Strategically, the Minnesota future governor, future legislature should do to help be ready for all this change. So we're actually what should we be that. ready for this change? Well, two things. One is um, I'm had the a great honor of co-chairing that council along with uh, an executive from XL Energy. So uh, Chris uh, uh, is a a, a a president of Minnesota. Uh, uh, in North Dakota, South Dakota, XL Energy. So there's three things. Electrification, cars are becoming more electric. Two, um, uh, automated, they're becoming like the autonomous cars. And three, they'll become more shared. The idea that we don't just necessarily own our own car, we're sharing them with other people. And those three revolutionary trends are ones that we're considering how do we prepare the transportation system to accommodate those. I mean, I, I understand you're still in this process, but is there any particular thing you can point us to that is something that you are starting to say, this is one of the ways that we need to prepare well, for this? Here, here's one thing we're doing. We're starting on Highway 55. We have about 17 interchanges where we're putting special um, uh, traffic signals that will actually talk to new cars. Audis and Toyotas. In hey, what's up, car? I'm green and, light. You and, can go. And they will be able to know when there's bikers around. They will only be green when there when there needs to be cars. In other words, the traffic will flow better with better timed signals. And when snow plows, I mean that snow plows come through those interchanges, they'll get a green light, which is always good for a snow plow. That's an example of one of the things we're doing to bring technology to our system in addition to the technology in the cars. So when the, they both do, the cars talk to not just to each other, but they talk to the infrastructure. They talk to the road. So cars will start actually recognizing signs, not just to see the signs, but to actually have embedded uh, uh, chips in the signs so that they'll know that that's not just slow, but that there's a traffic jam quarter of a mile ahead. And cars will know that before we will know that. One last piece, uh, and I should remind everyone, second half of the show, we open it up for you all to ask questions of our guests, and uh, I, I'm sure folks have a lot, but, uh, and I'm, I kind of want to ask in the second half of the show a little bit more, because you've been in this job for a while, and, I, and I'm interested in some of your reflections, but I want to do one last thing on the, the automated cars for this first half, okay. which is that um, I hear people on sort of, uh, everybody that I talk to thinks, yes, automated cars are coming, people have wildly different opinions of what that will mean for how we live our lives. There's some folks um, who, you know, live here in the Twin Cities and they think it's going to make everybody, like, want to be an urbanite who doesn't have a car, who can, like, just sort of, like, hail an automated Uber or Lyft and, like, hop in and, you know, you are freed up from all that and you can live this wonderful walkable life that has this thing. And then I have other folks who say, oh, man, I'm finally going to be able to move out to, like, Osseo and, like, get in my automated car and it will literally just, like, I will be able to, like, play Sudoku or whatever the, like, version of that is in 2028, uh, like, for the hour ride into the city and not have to do anything. And so do you have any sense of, like, 
if we're heading in one direction or another with I, that? I honestly think we're at a crossroads now and over the next few years to decide uh, as, a, as, a, as a community, uh, as a region, uh, where that's going to go. Because it could become kind of a dark, congested, uh, you know, it could be could be more congested. It could be worse. Or it could be a lot better. And I think that that's going to be part of a, a debate, a policy debate, maybe right here, where we will have actual uh, uh, issues to, to, to consider. Well, give us, what is the, what is the, because I, I, what's the policy issue that pushes well, it one way or another? Well, one might be uh, if you have uh, market forces deciding uh, who gets to have an automated car and who doesn't, then maybe uh, whole sections of the city might be uh, redlined in a sense like we're not going to go to North Minneapolis because uh, it doesn't pay so much money. Well, then we're actually become even more divided. It doesn't provide the access to all citizens that we need. So we'll have to make a decision saying, no, this new, this new technology needs to be deployed so all Minnesotans, everybody in the metropolitan area kind of has access to, to, um, to the mobility that this technology provides. So that's kind of a more philosophical thing that I think is important for our people, for our economy, for employers, for our citizens. And um, uh, when you think about how we use the scarce resource of public right-of-way, how we use sidewalks in the city street, bike lanes, parking, well, what about drop-off and and pick up for automated cars. Is that along the uh, sidewalk? Does that mean that we don't have um, uh, parking anymore on the street? Does that mean that uh, people who are shipping goods and services, do they need to come at certain times a day, not other times a day? Do we allow for disabled uh, citizens to be able to have uh, ramp access to some of these uh, automated cars? Where do we find those convenient places? There's a lot of little urban planning, land use. It's not just about transportation. It's about a whole host of issues. So this whole idea of electrification, how do we build out the infrastructure for, for electrical power? And where is that electrical power coming from? Is it coming from sustainable sources or is it coming from coal? So yeah. we're, you know, this is a, it's bigger than transportation, which I think makes it really interesting. On that note, please, a tremendous round of applause for our wonderful guest, Charlie Zelli. We're going to bring him back in the second half of the show. Uh, yeah. Okay, if you have a question, please raise your hand. I will run towards you in a non-threatening manner. Here you are. So we've only been talking about cars and bikes. How about trains? What's the Transportation Department's policy on trains? Whoa, trains. You mean passenger trains or freight trains? Uh, well, uh, as you know, there is a active development of the Southwest uh, Light Rail, which is the extension of the Green Line, and MnDOT is in close collaboration with the Metropolitan Council, which actually manages that project. But we have some of our team is involved, and so we are engaged with that. We collaborate a lot with Met Council, but that's a Met Council project. Chicago, little, Rochester. Oh, larger, well, we're part of a Midwest uh, passenger rail uh, kind of association, and there is a plan for both uh, Northern Lights, uh, which is to Duluth, Zip Rail to Rochester, um, and then what is probably more feasible in the near future is a second trip to Chicago on Amtrak. Uh, um, so we have a passenger rail office within MnDOT, and uh, sadly, there's very little funding, the capital funding that's re needed to help advance those projects. But a lot of the plans are in place, and in the case of the Northern Lights, um, 
line to Minneapolis to Duluth, that um, all the environmental work has, most of the environmental work and preliminary engineering has been done for that project. It just needs, uh, you know, $500 million to make that happen. So We're going to pass a hat. Um, so can I ask a political question, though, which is just, uh, I've been to, I've gotten to go to a variety of different cities uh, that have invested a lot more in light rail and to some degree passenger rail. And I've had folks, to, even in places like Texas, like that are not necessarily seen as like liberal bastions of like, oh, we're going to do. But for some reason, it does seem to be a very particularly partisan thing here. And I'm wondering if you have any sense of why it got to be that way here, and if you talk to folks from other parts of the country who say, well, it, it doesn't break down along those lines here, and, and why? You know, that's a great question, and uh, it's not just um, transit. It's also even road funding. 25 states have passed a gas tax over the past uh, three years, and uh, Minnesota, it's a very contentious, political, divisive issue uh, why do we not have taxes to pay for infrastructure? And the integrated transit system, which is light rail, but it's also uh, express buses, enhanced buses like the C-Line. Um, there are new busways, uh, uh, streetcar systems on, that are kind of the, on the planning stage. And, uh, and our kind of point of view is it takes all of that. And when you talk about mobility of the future, it is not just about vehicles that are shared. It's buses bikes, pedestrian space, scooters, and transit, even light rail is kind of like the core backbone of a larger system. So the light rail is really key. But I guess I'm asking, why, why why hasn't that caught on here across the lines the way that maybe it has in, you know, a Dallas or a, a Colorado or places like that? I think we've made great progress, but uh, it has become very polarized in Minnesota. It seems like a Republican talking point is transit is evil, very much greater Minnesota, as if that's taking away from greater Minnesota. It's not. And uh, it's unfortunate because I think transit is in every county in this entire state. We have greater Minnesota transit, just like we need it right here in the metro. So it's often misunderstood to say that, you know, transit is only a metro thing and it's somehow taking money away from greater Minnesota. That becomes a political talking point. It must be effective. It just happens to be wrong uh, that there actually isn't taking money away from greater Minnesota uh, economy. And, and it's become probably a maybe useful Minnesota political point, uh, and it is frustrating because there's many uh, states across the board that have more robust uh, transit system funding, as you mentioned, Colorado, uh, certainly uh, Washington, Texas, uh, the East Coast cities, um, but um, there, is a, um, there is a certain political faction that wants to use it I think not necessarily just to kill transit, but to be able to get maybe more uh, traction for their point of view. Okay. I will come back there next. Oh, uh, you seem very enlightened on the subject. I'm wondering how much your view has morphed since leaving the private sector, how much you've educated yourself on all these topics. Uh, well, I've been commissioner almost six years. I've learned, I learn every day. I mean, it is really, I, I've obviously been in the bus business for several decades. So some of it comes naturally. What I've learned in the bus business about how transportation 
uh, is critical for people's lives, and it's always about an interconnected network. And uh, I just guess I now know even more and even feel more strongly that it's an interconnected network. And uh, so I, I've learned, I, I guess I've learned that's one of, one of the great uh, privileges of being in this job is, is to kind of understand that it's not just a global policy issue. It gets down to a particular block or a particular community, uh, a particular curb cut, or a left turn lane. Everybody cares about how transportation affects their lives. And some of it is very specific, whether it's in a small town in Minnesota or here in St. Paul. Okay, uh, was there a hand over here, so? Hi. I wouldn't, I'm surprised to hear myself saying this, but I'm kind of a big fan of the MnDOT traffic cameras. I, I look Yay. at them a lot. And I'm just wondering, is there anything particularly interesting that you guys have seen over the years happen on one of those cameras? You know, Do you guys have a highlight reel? We actually... We have a few internal highlight reels, so I'll see if we can't make them more public. There's some fun ones. Yeah, absolutely. We have cameras around the entire metro and then many of the major corridors throughout the entire state. And you can go to that by going to the MnDOT website. Or if you don't have the app, uh, Min511 can be on your phone. And you can, put, you can link onto a camera and actually see live pictures. And in the winter, we have cameras actually on plows. So you can see where the plow is and see live what they're actually doing. So it's incredibly cool, the camera system. Yes, we do have a few highlights. We have, uh, uh, we've had major congestion caused by little ducks that cross uh, an interstate, and it's a very charming, that's a feel-good video. We have, the, um, we have the video of the car that uh, flies over the bridge, goes down, uh, hits the snowbank, goes across the interstate, and somehow uh, lives. So... Um, that's cool. And it was driven by ducks. Um, okay, well, we're going to follow up on that, but there was a hand over here. Uh, traffic circles, are they just a fad? Oh, great question. I was just in Boston yesterday. We were talking about rotaries, traffic circles. Uh, the fairly new to Minnesota, we've put in quite a few more this past five years. And uh, generally, we have a little life cycle of a rotary. Uh, the first reaction among the community around it is uh, hate, uh, and then annoyance to tolerance to I can't live without it. And, uh, and it actually becomes where people really appreciate it quite a bit. And, and here's, the, here's the dirty little not so hidden fact. Um, we have solved so many fatalities by putting in rotaries. You might have actually have more fender benders, but at least uh, more than half of the fatalities are uh, are, are reduced uh, by um, by half by uh, dangerous interchanges. So, so it, it actually is just the science is, is too clear that it really helps people flow through areas and uh, not have these T-bone uh, crashes, which uh, are usually fatal. What is the ooh, what is the future for uh, inner city bus transit? Industry bus transportation, it's just really good, you know. For, for you inner know. city, I mean, is it as bright as it was when you left Jefferson Line six years ago? Or when do we get to be like Holland where you can go, you know, four hours for $3 on an inner city bus? It's actually a great question. I think that the inner city industry has uh, changed a lot in Europe, certainly with Flixbus. And it's, and it's becoming more kind of curbside, not the big Greyhound, behemoth, crappy depot. And uh, I think one of the philosophies behind Jefferson, I think this is happening now, 
with, uh, with all bus operations is that it's about the trip that gets uh, interconnected with a lot of other rural transit, urban transit. And so it just becomes a really good way to get part of a trip. And that's what's really critical and important. And, and you'll find now more, um, not multimodal, but intermodal trip planning. So if you can't have on your app saying, I'm sitting here at the Amsterdam, and I can go to Duluth at a particular address, it'll not only link me, but I think the future will actually have the fare rebuilt right into your phone. And the inner city bus is an incredibly important part of that bigger network. So I, I think that uh, industries evolve, but uh, having a uh, uh, buses and public transit is definitely has a, a bright future. Okay, there's a couple of questions, but there was one right here. Yes, uh, do you see a time in uh, Minnesota's future where you might utilize the public-private partnership system of delivery for some of your transportation projects? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, you know, there's many different ways to how you define public-private partnerships, and we uh, will probably have opportunities as we East Coast uh, uh, states have done. Um, but if it's a pure sense, um, we're probably not interested in a, the tolling mechanism, whereas the private sector would actually own the road, get the revenue from tolls, because tolling would have to kind of come into favor in the Midwest and Minnesota. And it, currently it's not, except for our min pass lanes. But if you think about what we're doing with our alternative contracting, we do a lot more innovation than Wisconsin or some of the other states by actually outsourcing the design and the, you, you must know what I'm talking about. So we do complex projects and we wouldn't have been able to do the 52 crossing in, in Eveleth and Virginia and we probably would have had an even smarter St. Croix Crossing had it been a, uh, a CMGC or uh, 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 but I, I definitely think you know this whole idea of design build partnership with private sector um, whether it's a contractor or whether it's a bus company or whether it's a, uh, is very much in the future and the point is to be smart about it Michigan did a partnership replacing all their street lamps with LED lights and my buddy Kirk Stoodle there says look at that it did cost me a dime and I said, really? Let's put our spreadsheets together because we actually funded our LED conversions ourselves. And Excel comes to me and says, you're not the customer I used to be because we've saved $8 million a year. So I'm happy to, f to follow the cash flows. And I think we're actually uh, doing better in Minnesota because we funded it ourselves rather than giving a 35% internal rate of return to an outsourced uh, entity. So I'm all for public-private, but I don't want to be a chump. And I think private public sector... <laughs> I think public sector needs to be smart about it. All right. Um, as tempted as I am to go to this table that just got dessert, I'm going to go over here. <laughs> I am um, skeptical of driverless vehicles. I hear a lot about it. I worry about the, the, you know, the, the electricity going off and everything going wrong. What do you think is the most, the first way that driverless vehicles are going to show up on our roads, and maybe they already have, and I just don't know about it, and then what do you think the timing is for that, truly like when we're all in a driverless car? Uh, great question. I think uh, that we are, all, are already in an area where automation is doing a lot of the driving. I've talked about the cruise, but also the lane, the, the cars that park themselves. But uh, to be truly driverless, I think that's a ways off. And we're going to be in a period of great transition. That transition could be 15 years. 
And when you think about the average fleet in Minnesota of cars that are on the road, um, half the cars are over uh, 12 years old. So, you know, it would take a while for, for, for cars to change. But I think it's probably going to happen sooner than we think by these kind of the, the shared cars, the, the ability to have a car come and pick you up. The technology is there. That's the frightening thing. And even despite the accidents in Arizona and a few others which frighten people, and cybersecurity is an issue. Can somebody hack into my car and make a drive into a brick wall? I mean, I think that's a legitimate fear. Well, I'm not trying to create fear, but I, I, but I think cybersecurity with the amount of data that's generated for all these vehicles is, is a, a major issue that's being studied. And, and I think that uh, if you consider 1900, a uh, picture of Times Square where there was uh, all horse and carriages, and then there's another picture of Times Square in 1913, and there's only one horse in the picture, and they all have motor cars. The combustion engine happened really quickly. I mean, nobody saw Henry Ford coming. And in 13 years, from 1900 to 1913, uh, the world changed. And, and we're in the kind of one of those moments where, you know, we're going to see change happen faster than what we might think. But how we adapt, how we have mixed fleets, um, that's an issue that I think is being resolved. And, and uh, you know, we'll stay tuned. So before you go, I do. So you're you you probably got six months left. I don't know. Yeah. So in your role, so I'm just curious. Well, a just going back to your we're with Jefferson Lines. Are you going to just go back to that? Is that or what are you going to do? No, I'm, I'm chairman of the of the Jefferson uh, board, and I will probably be a little bit more engaged chairman of their board. But I'm not going to be the CEO, not run it. I will. Um, I'll probably be up looking for a job, get some ideas. <laughs> I do, but um, okay. so I'm curious then. So looking back then, yeah. you've been doing this. So uh, you've talked, I think, a, about a lot of the things that you're very proud of. Are there things that you haven't gotten to do that you, you really wish that you had? Like maybe there'll be a special session and we could just make, we could do a Zelly bill. So what would it be? You know, I, I love this job and, I, and it's been an incredible honor. And mostly because it's not just about transportation, it's about people's lives, it's about the economy, it's, how, it's all about Minnesota, which is a great state. And um, I think that we've made great progress in uh, changing a culture toward inclusion, uh, toward different popula- changing population, uh, thinking about transportation differently, how we manage our right-of-ways, not just making cars go fast, but thinking about how you uh, actually uh, ha- provide better access for all people. And uh, my frustration is that these things happen so slowly. I would love to, you know, kind of be around as they, as they evolve. And, um, but uh, I think six years is a, is a good run. So I'm, I, I think it's time to get others with great energy. And, and by the way, it's such a great department. It, it is really, uh, it is such an honor to be with tremendously creative people. And uh, I think it often goes uh, unappreciated. So it's been great to be part of that group that has had a history of innovation. I think it's kind of in touch with its innovation now for the future. And I'm sure at some point you very well will likely get a chance to give advice to the next transportation commissioner, whether they come from... Poor person. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whether they come from a DFL or a GOP administration, but just is there anything in particular... I mean, there's general things I'm sure that you could give, but, you know, having been in this job for six years, some piece of advice that you've picked up along the way that you would want that person to know that would maybe give them a head start on that. 
I think the big piece, um, and there's so many, but uh, if anything I could say is a leader needs to understand the, uh, both the resiliency and the creative uh, qualities that are within the agency and uh, really take the time to appreciate kind of the people that are within the agency, but also those that they uh, interact with all around the Minnesota. And that takes a while to figure out. So uh, I don't think change comes kind of from uh, driven by specific agendas from the top down. Uh, I think that would be a mistake. So I think part of it is to help uh, encourage and work with uh, the, um, the, the kind of the visionaries that are there now. On that note, please, a tremendous round of applause. Commissioner Charlie Sally, everybody. Yay! This show was recorded live at the Amsterdam Barn Hall in St. Paul. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. It was also made possible by a cultural star grant from the city of St. Paul.